אוקיי, אז מה אנחנו עושים? מקום השביעי. שכל עניין ייתכן בו שיתחלק בכמות. והיה תכלית מגיע בכל חלק ממנו. הנה נשפט על החלק במשפט באין עושר לכל. So, uh, something that could be divided quantitatively, okay? And the, the purpose is achieved by every component, so we're going to judge the component by the whole. He'll give an example. וזה החלק, אם היה בכמות המתחלק, ניקח אותו בכמה המתחלק הראשון והוא שניים. אתה יודע כמות המתחלקת? No, not as a so there's two types of quantity. There's like continuous quantity and discrete quantity. Right, so discrete quantity is like one, two, three, four numbers. Like let's say you have five uh, baskets. One, two, three, four, five. Water is a continuous quantity. Uh-huh. You don't say I have five water. Uh-huh. You have like an amount of it, right? There's not, the individ- it's not units, not based on units. Uh-huh. Right? So that's what it means, כמות המתחלק. So something that's subject, כמות המתחלק, we take always the כמות המתחלק הראשון. Meaning the most basic כמות המתחלק that there is after one is two. Okay? כי החלק... because a component of the number is a number. Wait, I don't understand what he's talking about. Is so, he, were we talking about that there's ideas in the Torah that'll be split up into different... No, no, he's not talking about that. He's going to explain. He's going to explain. Okay, he's, okay. he's talking about when you're trying to measure things because he wants to well, say... How like, did we get into talking sh- about measurements right now? Oh, because he wants to talk about how, certain halachot when there's like, let's say, HaKotev Shtei Otiyot B'Shabbat. Ah, okay. Right? Uh, Where does that come from? Like, is that, is that just... Because since he wants to integrate Tuash Bikhtav and Tuash Bapai, he wants to be able to show that from reading Tuash Bikhtav, you could see Kazayit. You, you uh, could see Shtei Otiyot. Now, how? Oh, because anything where the, the objective is achieved by each component, so we take the minimum number which is considered a mispar. So like two letters is the minimum, since each letter is, you know, contributes to the whole, that's considered the minimum of a quantity is two. Wow. Okay? So he says when it comes to, so he says uh, the first thing that can be divided, kamuta mitchalek, right? That's the first like actual quantity, a past one. So he's saying that a component of whatever number is, always, is, is itself a, a meaningful quantity. So then the minimum because each component is part of the is part of the whole okay so mashal let's see he'll give you an example then it becomes clearer let's say when it comes to ‫אבל זה לא מבין שזה לא מבין. 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 ‫אבל זה לא מב
Right, so there has to be some uh, threshold that's a measurement to, me- to constitute a violation. So what can, it's like if you go one mile over the speed limit, they're not going to pull you over. I mean, it has to be something which is a mashmalti. So you're saying two is the first point where you really say it's a quantity of significance. It's a quantity already. A one is not a quantity, it's a discrete entity. It's not a quantity, right? One is just a single item. So the first quantity is two, and the first quantity of a, of a substance that has... No. Can. No. So, uh, so that's, uh, that's discrete quantity. So if you want to know what's considered a significant amount, the first amount, really, that's called an amount is two. Right? So then he says, what about the minimum quantity that a person would actually break it down into. What's the minimum amount that you would consider significant? When you eat a food, you don't break it into units. You have an amount of food. Let's say you have an ounce, you have a gram, whatever, you don't have, you don't break it. They all combine together in the stomach. It's a matter of quantity, not a matter of discrete entities, right? The smallest one is Kazai. He's trying to explain, you know, the idea of this shiuri. Okay? Even though you eat it in pieces, okay? It's not the swallowing or the having it in the mouth, but it's the entry into the stomach that's really called eating, and there everything is combined together. He's trying to explain why it's considered kamutamitabek. Right, since that's the most that you swallow at once, that's interesting. So you see, a kazayit is small according to the Ralbag. Wait, he betabliya is the throat. The throat. Yeah. Saying the most you could swallow at once is kazai, so that's it. Exactly. Right, so it's each biliya. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Unless it was a, then if it's a briya, we know there's a separate halacha for, you know, then yeah. it's, even with fruit, you'll take like one horma, you'll take one grape. You would. One in full entity. So things that basically are, are you know, where it's a substance, a continuous substance, you're not going to have uh, less than the amount that you put in, you know, that you that fill you your smile. mouth, right? He's saying it's qualitatively significant. Pause. Yeah. So okay. So basically, uh, now that we're in a quiet environment, we can slightly recap what we did just to make sure that it's clear. So the basically, he's, what he's dealing with in this is when you have something that's divisible into parts. Okay, what constitutes a significant amount? Because for different halachot, you need what's considered a significant amount, and. Uh, yeah, it's a, you could ask, well, why is it that, you know, one is not a significant amount, but basically it's, a, since it's in a legal system, you have a threshold of, you know, a significant quantity. So in the area of discrete quantity, where it's units, so we say two, because that's the first thing that's really considered quantity. And when you're dealing with 
a continuous quantity, it's the amount that's normally used for whatever that purpose is. So he says when it comes to eating a kazait, right, whatever fits in the betabli'ah, is that's what's considered kazait. Not what fits in your mouth, but what fits in the betabli'ah. That's why he distinguished between, you know, it's not called nechal when it's in your mouth. It's called when it goes into your stomach and it becomes, you know, squished together. Right? So there, um, so he says, uh, Right, so, so, so that's, and except for a bri'ah, it's bri'ah shlema, because that's something that a person would eat normally as one entity, and, uh, and it has like a, quant- a qualitative uh, uh, significance, basically, right? So he's trying to say that there's thresholds in, in any legal system, so if you write two letters, that's, a, you know, one letter alone, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, I think the main point is that he's looking at it as, especially in the case of, let's say, writing, is from the perspective of like really accomplishing something, writing two letters, you really didn't do anything, but one letter on its own doesn't connect to anything else. Once you have two letters, you already have a quantity of letters and you can say that's a component of a larger, some larger entity that's gonna be created and so it becomes a, uh, it becomes a significant, it crosses a significant threshold, basically. Um, that seems to be what he's saying in terms of the, in terms of the ketiva in the beginning when he talked about that there. As he said, I don't know why he doesn't say Shabbat, he says Moadim. He's saying this is the, that's the, uh, what does he say there? So it's in the shot, what does he say? Let me see. Yeah, I mean, otherwise you could say one hair or one letter, but he's saying you need to have that, that threshold. Okay, so... Uh, so things that are continuous quantity food, meaning not the bri'ah of the one special thing, is uh, something that you eat, the amount that fits in your throat. Something that's an, an independent creature, right? So it's not just because you would normally eat that, it's also because it's considered significant in its own right, right? You don't need to make a kazayat out of it, meaning it could be even less. So he's saying fruits are not considered a briah. They're considered, even though I mentioned before that, because there are some people who say that, like one date or whatever would be a briah, but he's saying no. Um, it's more similar to a continuous quantity food. So that's why we say, we don't say if a person eats one grain of wheat that it's prohibited. He's trying to explain how all these halachot come from some fundamental definitions of achila. You know, what is, a, what is a significant action? How do you define significance? There has to be some quantity. Everyone would agree if you ate a speck of something, it's nothing, right? When do you, so when do you cross the line? Or if you did a tiny kishkush of not even a letter, that's nothing. What about one letter? You know, so where do you draw the line that the person accomplished a melacha? When there's a quantity, there is a, something that is called a quantity, which means it has to either be two if it's discrete, or a quantity that is a uh, continuous quantity that's significant uh, because that's what you would normally use or eat or whatever it is, right? So he's trying to show you that these shiurim are not arbitrary imposed rules, but actually they emerge from some understanding of the nature of 
what it means to measure a significant act, let's say. Because quantity is part of an act. Every action has a quantity of a result. What do you say that two is significant? Because it shows some kind of intent? Is that the, the idea? Meaning that, that this was a purposeful behavior? It doesn't seem to bring in the Kavanah, even though I, I, I could I'm trying to I'm trying to reason what's right. the difference between one and two. Mm-hmm. Meaning you could say that one is the, the first significant quantity. Mm-hmm. I, have a reason, I have a feeling that it's significant that it's not that. And I was thinking about the fact that Hashem is Echad. I don't know how that plays in though. It's, I mean, it's interesting. What? It's a different kind of Echad. I'm, uh, very different. But I'm saying it's... Uh, my, my point is... That that in and of itself is significant. Meaning the fact that it's it's not not two. Meaning Hashem's echad is a is a unity. It's it's. Right. I feel like from the way he's wording it, he's consider he's talking more about impact, significance of impact in kavana. Because he says like, some, the, the opening of it was shekol inyan Anything that's divisible by quantity, vayatachlit magia mikol chelik mimenu. And each part contributes to the effect, right? So, so it can. So then, So then we consider the part like the whole. But what's you know? So, but he's saying the component. I mean, the assumption is you're not weaving an entire begin. You're weaving a part of a begin. Every every activity you do is a partial activity, meaning every action is. That's it. Briah is different in that way because let's say you eat the whole thing. But I'm saying, if you if you weave a baguette, you don't weave it all at one in one shot, but it's made up of parts. You do one, another one, another, 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 another piece until you create it. If you write something, you write words, you write made out of letters, multiple letters. So he's saying since each letter contributes to the whole, so you're dealing with something that is an extended process, not something that's an act. Like if I kill somebody, there's no quantity. Was it because I had a killing? No, there's no because I had a killing, right? What is, it, what is that measuring? It's measuring an action. That, I think that's the point, actually. Maybe, maybe it's a little bit clearer to me now also. Like when you have an action that does, isn't a, uh, an all or nothing action, basically it's an action, an action that's subject to quantity, the effect is quantitatively measurable, right? You, like, let's say you're working on writing something. You usually, like if you're working on a project of writing something, you might write a few paragraphs and then you come back and you write a few more paragraphs and then you do this. So it's not a, uh, it's not an all or nothing, knock down, drag out action. Like, I don't know, killing somebody or stealing something or whatever. You know, it's like, uh, it's something which is subject to degree. How much of it did you do? Right, so you're not gonna say the person didn't violate Shabbat until they write their entire novel, because they didn't finish yet, so it's not, not malachet machshevet, nobody's gonna say that, right? So when does it, when do we say that the part that you did is a part that has reached a threshold that it made a difference? So you're saying in those types, when it's a matter of degree, we take the minimum that's a counted quantity. You don't count a one. Because it's a single. You count two, okay, you put two letters in, okay, that's, uh, you, you added something, or you, you, you created something. You put two stitches in, you know, two uh, strings, okay, you added something to their sweater, right? So 
I, I think that's what he's talking about. He's talking about actions where you don't get to the end. The, it's, a, it's an action that's ongoing. So it's an ongoing action. So the question is, how, we're not going to only say the action was impactful when you reach the end of it. So what do we say? Or like with eating. If you eat one kazai, usually a person doesn't only eat a kazai. Mm-hmm. Let's say you're eating a hamburger. You eat a lot of kazai Right? Not except according to the chazon ish, maybe the whole thing's one, but you know. According to the regular concept of kazai, you eat many kazai in one uh, hamburger, right? Are you going to say you didn't eat anything until you finished the hamburger? No. So how do you define it? Whatever is considered the amount that will go in the beta at one time, that's considered a significant, you know, an impactful component of that action. I think that's what, that's what he's trying to say, since actions by this kind of action, is a matter of degree, or even tzarat. How, how bad is the tzarat? Are there two hairs? Okay, that's like already considered to be a, a, a significant uh, uh, change in the body, as opposed to one. If you had it all over, that's a lot. But you can't actually be more tzarat or less. So. Either yes or no. Right, but there's a threshold, and I think that's, that's the point. So he's trying to make it that all of these things are somehow... Right. Fit into some natural reading of the text. When I read Ha'ochel Nevela, what does it mean? He, he ate the entire Nevela? Does that mean that he ate the entire thing? Ate the entire dead carcass? No. It means, so, then, so then when do I say that he ate Nevela then? How much did he have to eat? In order to you know, meet the threshold. The answer is a Kazai. Right? That's, that's what he's trying to, I think, what he's really trying to define. And say that it makes, per, it makes sense, because otherwise you would have a very unreasonable uh, conception of what's considered a, a, a significant action. Right? Then what he said, Building is the tiniest amount. Why? Because there's no small amount that doesn't occasionally get done. You put a little spackle on something, put a little... Uh, 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 what's it called? Uh, cock. You know, small, small thing. So because bonnet is really defined in terms of like, whatever you're doing, uh, sometimes to repair it, you would do a small thing. It would be significant. So every bit is considered significant in that case. Um, and it says, That's what I was saying. Yeah. When, he, when that amount is broken, a little piece chips off, you'll fix just a little tiny piece to make it perfect again, right? According to the Ralbag, this is the most, like, one of the most important things because there are many dinim, because so much of the dinay Torah are about shiurim and measurements and when are you chayav and when are you patur and what's the threshold. You know? So he say, like, I'm sure he would say about, like, let's say, gzelag neva. Oh, stealing less than a Shavet Pruta because it's not significant. That's not an amount that a person would uh, steal. I mean, you can apply that to a lot of things. Uh, a person's not going to steal that amount because it's too small. It's not worth it. It's not valuable. The person's not going to steal it. So it's not considered a stealing. Uh, it's like you can apply that to so many the different shiurim, but there are. In Hotza'ah, there's so many shiurim for every object what's considered the Hotzi on Shabbat. Why? Because what's the amount that really a person would be mozi for, for a purpose, for a constructive purpose? So he's saying that, that it adds a whole layer to your reading. So now whenever you're reading and it says doing a malacha, that means doing an action which is also to an extent that's impactful. 
It's not that they just made up these arbitrary rules of, oh, this is two letters, this is that. No, it's, it's emerging from an assumption that the action isn't gonna be necessarily the completed, the product is not gonna be completed, but the, the effect happens in, in, uh, as a matter of degree. It happens in, in stages, and so therefore, at what point are you considered liable? So it, it makes sense. I think it makes a lot of sense. And uh, then we come to the Shemini. What's that? When it gives a description, it doesn't necessarily mean that it, it means to include someone who normally would have that quality, not somebody who actually has that quality. What does that mean? Because what does the Torah say? That, oh, that's a good, it's a good example. That's a really good example, actually. It's an example that I would have thought of, too. Um, which is why it must be good because I would have thought, right? <laughs> so that they, because the when you it says that you give the ora ola sheria kriv, right? The ora ola the the skin of the ola goes to the kohen who did the service, but that's not actually true because whoever's in the mishmar can take it because it's whoever could have done it it doesn't go specifically to the Kohen who brought that korban in other words it doesn't necessarily mean that it refers to a person who actually brought that korban that there's zoche in the or it means that everyone who was on duty at that time that the korban was brought gets some it's using the description to mean a potential, not an actual. Could you explain what the, what the topic is here? You're saying if it, just, if it says, for example, a person who, that, that the Kohen who brought the Korban. No, no, before, did, before the example, oh, I just want to understand, like, what's the, what's the oh, category we're talking he's about? He's saying sometimes the Torah will describe a person in a, with a certain uh, descriptive term, not because the, he actually has that term, that or actually is, or that he or she is that condition, but that they could have been that. I mean, they qualify for that. It means that they qualify. Um, it's a type of person who qualifies for that. So anybody who could have brought the korban because they were on duty really can take the korban, not just the person who actually did it. It's not like doing it, it earns you the thing, right? So it, he's using it as an ex- a good example. Sounds like one of the other chalakim, the, the one of the other mekomot. I can't remember which one. Um, the Hora'at the Geder one, the term, the definition yeah, of the term of the yeah, band yeah, it's and, from the, the, yeah, from and the, the hands, pro- that yeah. one. Yeah, the difference is that there, it's actually, it's opposite, because it's actually describing what they actually have to be. It's from, Here, the, it's from the, the specific to the general. There, it's what they actually have to be. He has to be a certain age, so he's called Ben. He can't be old enough to have a child himself, but he can't be too young. And the Tapsu is that they have to have hands that they could grab him and all that. No, 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 I'm not talking about that one. Oh, not that one? Which one? No. No, not that one. Oh, another example he gives is good too. Like, on, look at the next example. It's a good one. What you're allowed to cook, right? Right? It doesn't mean that you actually have to eat it. It's not like you have to eat what you made on Yom Tov. It has to be something you could. It's not like if you didn't actually eat the food that you made. Oh, I didn't have it. Right, that's uh, no right. one can say that. This is such, a, such an Aristotelian type of thing to say. We would call a person 
במלאכת, כי אנחנו נקרא הבקיא במלאכת הרפואה רופא, גם בעת שלא יתעסק במלאכת הרפואה. ולכן So, meaning that's a feature of the person himself, that he could have been the Makri. It's a quality. Of the, it doesn't mean that he acted before I'll do it. Right? Same thing with the food. That's a before I'll eat. And then the Rofei. Kohena Makri is the, right? is it, not the one that's bringing it, it's the one that could bring it. Right. Is the doctor, it's, it's a category of the qualification, who is qualified to bring yeah, it. Yeah, right? qualified. Like, you, is the doctor a doctor when he's asleep? Yeah. yeah. So uh, he doesn't have to be actually functioning, he's still a doctor, because that's a state of the person. Right? So sometimes the description is a description of the state of the person or a state of the entity, not of the actuality of the, uh, you know, the, what actually happened, but of the, of the qualification. And then, HaMakom HaTshi'i, Ushikashir Tafligatwa Me'od Be'onesh Al Azara Achat. ונזכרה באזרה היא הפרט אשר הוא ראוי יותר בזה הדין משאר הפרטים הדומים לו, הרואים למנוע גם כן, הנה לא ינהג העונש שלו החמור כי אם בפרט ההוא. So if the Torah describes a very severe onesh and has a very, has a specification there, we're going to assume that that very severe onesh only applies to the case of the specification, not to generalize from it. ובמה שידמה לו ממה שהוא ראוי, בזה הדין כמוהו, או משהו כמוהו. אך בשאר הפרטים הדומים לו, שאין הוא אוהב בהם זה הדין, כמוהו לא ינהג העונש הנפלא ההוא, אך אזרה תנהג בהם. In other words, we're going to assume that if the Torah warns against a certain thing and attaches a very specific punishment to it, with, with a very severe punishment to a very specific action, things similar to it might also be prohibited, but won't be subject to that onesh. Okay? So he's going to give an example. המשל, כי התורה... בירה, שאם ייכנס ארון לפניי ולפנים שלא לצורך עבודה, יתחייב מיתה, שנאמר דבר לארון אחיך, ויבוא בכל יתר לקודש. ויזה, כן, לפי שייכנס תמיד במקום ההוא, יסיר מהנכנס שם הרבה מהירה ממנו. And what's going to happen if the, if the Kohen goes into a... Uh, oh, I see Kobe's calling. There you should call him. I'm going Hello? So he's saying that if you have a situation, he's tra- he gives nine rules, basically, and these nine principles to guide the reading of Torah Shabbat. So the ninth one is that if, you have, if the Torah is, gives a very strong punishment in one particular case, but there's a, it, it's applied to a specific circumstance, we're not going to assume that that onesh applies beyond that specific circumstance, even if the prohibition applies, right? So now we start talking about Aaron or a Kohen going into the Kodesh HaKodeshim. And he said, the reason why you don't want to go into the Kodesh HaKodeshim all the time is because it will lower the fear of the place, right? It's the opposite of the Torah's intention. Because the Torah wants you to, to have an awe of the Mikdash because that's how you're going to benefit from it. So the same principle should really apply to going into the oil moed unless you have a reason, right? Even though the Torah mentions it only, it's talking about going to the Kodesh HaKodeshi, right? But really the same idea would apply to going into the oil moed for no tzorech. There's also a prohibition to go lilo toelet, right? There's no reason, right? So he says, 
אלא שזה יורחק יותר בקודש הקודשים. But the worst is in קודש הקודשים. And when does it mention, ואל יבוא בכל יתר הקודש, מבין הפרוכת, ולא ימות, so that he will not die, it mentions that in the קודש הקודשים. Right? So the idea of מיתה בידי שמיים, only בקודש הקודשים. וזה ללמוד מזה, שעל אוהל מועד הוא בעזרה, isn't it? So in other words, you understand the concept of the, of the prohibition, From the concept of the prohibition, you can derive that it applies to any entry into the Beit HaMikdash that's not necessary. But the specific onish of mitav bide shamayim is only when he goes into the Kodesh HaKodeshi. Because that's the worst case, right? Lo b'mitash, im haya mukhiyav mital oil moed, hawaii gam kishtilam dewa Torah, zeadim oil moed. It's pretty logical, meaning if the Torah wanted to say that anybody goes into oil moed is, is liable for, for no reason, is going to get mitav bide shamayim, it would have mentioned oil moed, not Kodesh HaKodeshi. Why does it mention Kodesh HaKodeshi? Because that's the only case. Right, so the point is that the, uh, the, the, the way that the Torah is, um, is expressing itself is specific. In other words, it's giving you the specific uh, application where you have where it's the worst detraction from the sanctity of the and the awesomeness of the Mikdash is to go into the Kodesh HaKodeshim even though really any entry for no reason into the into the Beta Mikdash is, is prohibited that's the that's what he's saying right I don't understand why we need to know that though is he essentially just saying that if, it, if the Torah specifies a specific Onesh that it's only specific to that case and not to the cases beneath it Well, that seems like is, the some, logical deduction. Yeah, some of, of the so the thing is like this: some of the principles that he gives are genera- generalizing from a particular, like generalizing. Oh, I see. My kid, my family had a good meal at a good restaurant because I get every notification of my credit card. And, uh, I uh, the, generalizing from like let's say it gives an example that like the shorva chamor example like uh, oh it really means any kosher animal with any non kosher and don't lo tacharosh or it means any melacha so you generalize and so the question is you know and that's part of the Ralbag's whole program that we shouldn't look at material specifics we should see the principle behind it we see the concept behind it how far does that extend. Right? So what about when sometimes you want to limit the extension of a principle rather than expand it. So here he's saying because there's an onish nifla, right? That's the thing. And he's saying when the Torah is very strict about something and attaches an onish to a specific case, we're not going to generalize that onish. Even if, even if we'll generalize the concept behind it, meaning the principle in terms of the prohibition, we do generalize. And we say that you're not, nobody should go into the Beit HaMikdash for no reason. But we're not going to generalize that velo yamut part. Because so that's just, tied to the, to the specific case. So don't say, oh, well, just like we're, if we're generalizing anyway, why don't we also generalize can, the whole thing? You can generalize the onesh. Right. That's what he's... Right. That's, he's like, onesh the, you shouldn't generalize because onesh, a very serious onesh is probably tied to the gravity of, this, uh, of, the, of that version of the prohibition. So as tempting as it is to say, well, yeah, but really isn't going into the Kodesh. His whole thing is like, if you want to put it this way. Isn't going into the Kodesh HaKodeshim just an extreme example of violating the specialness of the Beit HaMikdash by going in for no reason? Right? That's just an extreme example, but really the general principle is you shouldn't go into the Mikdash Lelotorch, because when you go in without a Torch, it lowers the Kavod and the Yirav of the, of the Mikdash. 
Okay, that's a very serious violation. So, so one, maybe it's just giving me an extreme example, but really I should generalize and say any going into the Mikdash is the same in its badness. It's just that it gives you an example of going in there because that was what Nadav and Abihu did or because it wanted to show you, you know, the whole point by using the example that is the strongest example, okay? Uh, as opposed to, uh, which is typical of like in a rhetorical device, you might use the strongest example to illustrate an idea, but actually applies to uh, any uh, version of it. So he's saying when it comes, when an onish is involved, and it's a, it's an extraordinary onish, we assume it only applies to the extraordinary case, even if we're going to generalize the prohibition, because yeah. the idea of the prohibition is generalizable, but the onish is tied to the yeah. gravity of that example. So sometimes you generalize and particularize at the same time when an onish is involved. He specifically says an onish, so, which is interesting. So that's another one of his principles. So there are many examples of that where you say, where you'll say, oh, a person who does, let's say, um, who does a certain, like, let's say, karet on Yom Kippur, right? A person who eats or drinks, is bekaret. The other things, according to some reshot, according to, let's say, the Rambam, is ba'azara, it's not ba'karet. Let's say if you, uh, if you rub oil on your body, uh, marital relations, other things that are prohibited, it's an Isur Lav, but it's not correct. You know, Achila Vishtiya is the main, is the primary uh, thing. So it's a pr- essential Inui. The other things are additional uh, to it. So the main thing, so that's an example where you have the, the you can have an example that is, a, the violation is, uh, uh, you know, is a, uh, has a form that is the more extreme form and uh, a lesser form, and the extreme form has the karet, the karet you're not going to extend to the, uh, to the, to the other uh, versions, even though the other versions are also prohibited. Okay, so that, that's a, I'm, I'm trying to think of other, there are many examples where we'll say like, oh, the onish is in this case, but the azara is on all of them. Like for example, my favorite, my personal favorite case is, you know, when you, uh, that you're not allowed to bring two ketorets, like that's why I always complain about why I say the ketoret twice, you know, once mm, in the time. Yeah. Because actually you're not, you're not allowed to bring a second ketoret in the morning. It's uh, sort of, but it's a bazara. It's not be, it's not a, it's not, be, it's not bekaret because of this. Because you're not allowed to go in for no reason, but, uh, but it's not bekaret. It's only, it's not bimitabi deshamayim because it's uh, not into the kodesh kodesh. Is there a fundamental importance to the, to the, the punishments? Meaning, Okay. The so, Rambam has a whole long thing in the Mario Bukhim about the punishments. I mean, there's different reasons for it. And the Ramban also has a, a piece on it where he talks about it in, the, in Chumash. The, a punishment could be severe either because it's trying to be a deterrent for something that is easily not taken seriously or in order to signify how serious the, the violation is. Sometimes it can be, uh, it, it can be a function of just the the fact that people will take it too lightly, so it's in order to be a deterrent. And other times it expresses the severity, most of the time I think it really expresses the severity of, uh, of the prohibition. And uh, so obviously going into the Kodesh Kodashim is qualitatively more significant because no one ever goes in there except for Yom Kippur. So it's a much greater violation of the specialness of the Mikdash then going into the Oed where people go there every day, but it's just not, uh, you know, it's not a, uh, a, you're not supposed to go for no reason. Okay, but people do go there every day, so it's not the same thing. So you could see why there's a, total, there's a qualitative difference going into the Kodesh HaKodeshim. 
you know, so the, the, that would be a, uh, it would be considered a severe violation because it's basically uprooting, it's, it's undermining the whole institution of the Mikdash. A lot of the, a lot of the punishments surrounding, it's mitabi deshamayim, though. It's not mitabi in the hand mm-hmm. of the it's, it's different. It's different. It's not even karet. Karet is worse than mitabi deshamayim. Mm-hmm. So, so the, uh, but a lot of the things surrounding the Mikdash involves karet. Because it's, uh, it's something that's treated with great, uh, we're going to talk about Mikdash, I don't want to ruin it, but there's, there are things that, that are, uh, because of the sensitivity of the idea of Mikdash from many angles, so it has to be treated with uh, extreme care, basically. And part of it is like what we talked about earlier today, that you're creating a, a forum for human beings to encounter God. And it's an extremely dangerous thing because it always runs the risk of lowering God to the level of the, of the people approaching mm. and, uh, and taking it too lightly like Nadav and Abihu are the classic case. So you, you have to have a lot of stringency surrounding the Kavod HaMikdash to prevent that from happening. Going in bitumah, it's correct. Like, why, 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 you know, what do I do? Right. <laughs> but that's... No, but that's, okay. that's, that, it's an important question. Like, yeah. why is it important to know that something is karet versus sekila? It reflects something about the, seri- about the gravity of the, uh, of the prohibition. It does. Like, yeah. sekila okay, is worse than, something, yeah. Sekila is worse than karet? I mean, I don't know what has sekila not karet. I can't think of it. Has, has karet also? Yeah. Mechalalea, yeah. So, okay, fine. Like, I, I guess just to just to classify the severity of things, like chenek versus sekila. Right, that has a difference. Right, I mean, it makes a difference. That's that's obviously in order to show the gradation of the severity of the yeah. prohibition. It doesn't really matter how you are killed. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's to show you. It's about certain ones convey a greater uh, condemnation of the action. Mm-hmm. They're never even carried out, most of the mitotik. And the whole point yeah. is to show you right. what's considered a capital offense. You know, what's considered a karet offense. Even yeah. though maybe you wouldn't get karet, it doesn't show gay. You know, but like, it's uh, still, it's to show you. Karet means that it's your your relationship with God is destroyed. Right. That's like the worst that, thing. That's why, that's why I think it's, it's most significant. Karet is... is most significant to to specify in my in my view because that's showing you that's showing you identity things. There are not that many things that are skila, by the way. There are not that many things. So it's 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 very limited. But it's it's more about identifying the hierarchy of the severity of different things for mm-hmm. sure. Um, I had once been working on uh, Developing some ideas about what the uh, what the differences were between the different mitzvot bedin, like last year, I remember what the we've been talking about and I've been working on it. But it's yeah, but I mean that's the essential reason. One day they're gonna speak about you the way that we speak about Ralbag, not not writing out the things that he said he was gonna write out. Mm-hmm. Maybe I didn't say I was right going to write it. I think I was working on it. Right, that's even worse. I have a friend who worked at Koran before and uh, said, and I was talking about how I didn't think I would, you know, writing is hard. 
and they said, uh, you know, they, they said, did you ever hear of the, uh, did you ever hear of the guy who had all the same exact ideas as the film they got on? I said, no. I said, uh, that's because he never wrote it down. That's how you didn't hear him. Now, the point is you don't leave any, like, uh, anything for Buster. But I have you guys recording, so I don't have to work. Yeah. That's <laughs> true. One thing, it'll, it'll be, uh, all right, so, all right, so that's so easy. It sounds like the end of a parasha. These are the principles that, uh, with help of God, I'm going to use in explaining the mitzvot and their roots and their branches. Don't expect me to explain to you every single time which one I'm using of these principles. Because I know it'll extend for no reason. There's no doubt about the truth of these principles and you'll be able to figure it out and trace it back. He does oftentimes say Kimo you know, like the first Makom, like the third Makom. He does, but he doesn't always, let's say. He does do it often enough that, you know, you don't forget that they exist, let's put it that way. Uh, but he, you know, but maybe he's, he's giving himself a, a, a disclaimer, so to speak. Yeah. Oh, wow. They opened a new toy store. Yeah. So that's the, um, the idea. So, so it, would be, it would be interesting to, like, I, think, I think it might be worthwhile, like, uh, let's see what he says to the end of this before you, when he summarizes the Masechto, we don't have to read like yeah, how yeah. many prakim are in every Masechto. Yeah. He does that for uh, whatever his reason, but let's read the rest to the end. Do you want to read a little or no? I'm reading all the time. I feel bad. I'm no, I like, I like the reading. reading. Okay. It says, uh, so, and then when we get to the end of that, maybe we'll just circle back and just review what the Mikamora, because I don't want to forget. Where did you jump to? Uh, from the next part. Yeah, so that's the next part. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So the next part is the Shein Tzafik Bamitatam. So this is what he does. So I had mentioned he has the toaliot. So after he explains beor hamilot, beor divreya parasha, and then toaliot, he just derives the principles that are learned from each parasha in deot. Now for the Rambam, deot means something different than the Rambam. The Rambam uses deot to mean midot. The Rambam uses deot to mean ideas. Mm-hmm. Okay, like that. Yeah. The Rambam uses the word midot to mean character and uses the word deot to mean theoretical ideas. Okay? And then mitzvot, right? Kiyad tzichleinu. Uma shinibber me'atolot b'mitzvot nimne shorshei dinei ha-mitzvah lefi ma shinibber me'atolim ha-shinemu bo, shinemu ba, v'nizkoram mekomot me'atolmut shinibberu sham elo ha-shoroshim v'anfeim v'anfeim. So, for every... He's really systematic about this, by the way. <laughs> it's like, scary. Like it's really, every mitzvah, he then maps out what are the shorashim of the mitzvah, what are the anafim, how do they emerge from the text. It's like, it's, so pretty, it's pretty cool. Um, it's very systematic, but that doesn't start obviously until Sefer Shemot, because there's no real mitzvah right. in uh, Sefer Bereshit. Um, well, yeah, I'm not so sure about that. 
ולהשלים המאמר בזה, הסכמנו בגזירת הצום. <laughs> בגזירת הצום, לחבר עוד אל זה הביאו שני חיבורים גדולים. I'm also going to write two more great, uh, great works that he didn't write. Um, יהיה מוצאה ממה שהתפאר מדין המצוות התוריות בזה הביאו, that um, their source will be emergent from this פירוש על התורה, is going to be two more books that I'm going to write, which neither of them he ever wrote, unfortunately, for us. First one is החיבור אחד הוא ספר המצוות. That would have been like, kind of like a, like a משנה תורה, pretty much, you know, almost. ושם נביא בגזירת השם, בגזירת הצור המין, הפסוק אשר במצווה מצווה ושורשי דיני המצווה לפי מה שהתבאר בזה הספר. I would dare have all, every מצווה, the פסוק, and all the principles that, are, that come from that פסוק. עוד נביא בכל שורש ושורש הדברים אשר באו בו בחוכמת התלמוד בשלמות. And everything in the Talmud about that מצווה I would bring. היו שיהיו מן התורה ומדברי ספרים. It sounds like the משנה תורה, basically. Very similar, right? <coughs> אם זה מקומותיהם מהתלמוד, המסכתא והפרק שהוא בא מהמסכתא. It's interesting that he didn't just say read the Rambam. You know? Yeah. Even though he himself, most of the time he seems to go with the Rambam, but not always. Not always, but that's enough to just have to make your own whole book. I mean, why? I don't know. כי אילו תאמר בפרק השני או השלישי או הרביעי מהמסכתא הפלונית, ובכלל בני נזכר שם. ומה שבא בתלמוד, והנלווה אליו מהחיבורים התלמודיים בשורשים ההם, וענוויהם, וענוויהם, איש על מקומו. בדרך שלא יישאר דבר בתלמוד הבבלי והירושלמי והתוספתא, וספרה וספרי במחילתא. Think about like what an ambitious project that is. So that there's nothing in the תלמוד בבלי, ירושלמי, ספרה, ספרי, מחילתא, שיש בו רושם בעניין זאת המצווה, שלא יהיה נכלל במה שנזכרו. That's crazy. He's saying he wanted to make something so thorough. that there isn't a thing in all of rabbinic literature mentioned about the mitzvah that he wouldn't have in his chibor. That's like what the Rambam says in the beginning of Mishneh Torah. What he says, I looked at the Bavli, Ushalmi, Sifrasifri, everything, and I... He's saying he was wanted to do it, but what's interesting is not that he says that, he didn't unfortunately do it, but like that he was a person who could do that. Meaning, just like the Rambam, what you learn from the Rambam's Mishneh Torah is how he saw all of the halakha organized like that in his mind. From the Ralbag wanting to do that, that's how he had, he had like, oh, this mitzvah, and then the entire rabbinic literature, of course, like integrated with that in his mind, he just didn't have time to write it down. He ran out of time, he was too busy writing, he wrote so many books, I think he was like even more prolific than the Rambam. He wrote so many books on a lot of secular topics too, on astronomy and wow. things like that. Yeah, he was a very, very cool guy. Like, <clears throat> הוא שנחבר בגזירת הצהור באור המסכתות. My second thing, in addition to this, is not going to be a, say, almost like a משנה תורה that starts with the פסוק and brings all the rabbinic literature, but the other way around, that I'm going to make a, a, a commentary on all of the ש"ס. ונזכר בראש המסכתה המצוות שכוללת אותם המסכתה ההיא. I'm going to start with the מצוות that are included in that מסכת. ונפרש שם הפסוקים באופן שיצאו שורשי המצווה הם. And then I'm going to explain the פסוקים so you can see how what's in the Talmud is really coming from the Torah שבכתב, from the principles of the מצווה, from the Torah שבכתב. כדי שיהיה מוכן בביאור מה שהיה בה משורשי המצוות ההם וענפיהם וענפיהם. So that you'll have in that explanation all of the principles and the, the roots and the extensions of the מצווה. ואם יהיה באור המצווה ההיא מפוזר ממסכתות רבות. If there's a lot of, like sometimes you'll have, let's say, the halachot of, uh, 
of a certain mitzvot are all over the shacks. So that was one of the things the Rambam talked about. You had to pull things from all over the Like, Hilchot Avelur is in Zvachim. I don't know why. You know, things like that. Or, and it's also in Moed Katan, but Aninut is in Zvachim. I do, I mean, because it connects to Korbanot, to Halachot Korbanot also, but there's, there's things like that, right? So what happens then? So he says, then um, he'll put it, so I'll go to the one that's, so I wonder, like, let's say uh, we're going to be learning Kiddush, like it's in him, maybe he would have done that in Masachet Shabbat, I don't know, you know, something like that. Um, and I'll mention all the statements and connect them to their sources. So that's the funniest thing. In essence, this second chibor will be exactly the same as the previous chibor, except the order will be the opposite. Okay, meaning, so, so what he means is like this, that in his, he would have one book, which was, basically started with the Torah Shebikhtav and brings all of the Talmudic material. And then he would have one thing that starts with the Talmudic material and brings all the Torah Shebikhtav and all the principles that are learned from the Torah Shebikhtav in order to integrate with that. So basically he's doing the same thing just in the opposite order. But he planned on doing it in the order of the Talmud? Or it sounds the, like yeah, he, that's what So he's not like the Rambam, not like organized Rambam. it. Yeah, which is Rambam. interesting. Well, the Fisha Chibur Talmud Babli, you know, Eg Menaga Torah, the Sepeb Tat Sipurim, Kubal Bem Toilet, since you have stories in Talmud Babli, in Be Midot, in Bedeot, sometimes about Midot, sometimes about philosophy, basically. Kemoshe Zachar, no, he didn't hear, but they're also about Torah, the Sipurim, I'm sorry, Hasipurim, I guess. Maybe this is why he said he didn't say, go to the Rambam. I'm not going to make it as long as I explain the explain Meaning the person who's a Yechid, you'll get enough from the small hint. And the person who's the Hamon, they're not going to get anything. Right? Even if I explain everything, they won't get it. So what's the point? Okay? Maybe the foolishness of the, the masses will cause them to be worse off. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, and then he says, so basically the reason why he brought all the names of the Masechto and the Prakim was in order to enable him now to go to the to do this, this Pirush where he's going to make a Pirush of every Masechet. So that's why he lists now the entire Shas and every Perakim in the Shas. You know? The, and he doesn't say anything about them. He literally just lists them. Yeah. So the yet. And... Uh, and it's just sad that he never actually made it. You know, and then he says at the very end, He said that in the, uh, in his, he'll, he'll mention, he'll explain the order of the Shas and why it's in the order that it is in his Chibor and the Talmud that he didn't make. So sad. We missed out on that. But the idea is that he wanted to show the, he so much wanted to show the integration of the Torah Shebikhtav and the Torah Shebalpeh that he started out by writing his perush on the Torah, which basically readies the Torah Shebikhtav for that. 
and then he wanted to make a sefer mitzvot, starting with psukim from the Torah, that, and then bringing everything in the Talmud from that, and then going to the Talmud and bringing everything from Torah Shebikhtav and from those principles in the sefer mitzvot into the, into the Talmud, so that anyone learning the Talmud would immediately really be learning Torah Shebikhtav, and anybody learning the mitzvot sourced in Torah Shebikhtav would immediately be learning Torah Shebalpeh. And right. literally just flip the order of it. I was saying maybe that's why he didn't say go see the Rambam. He didn't feel it sufficient what the Rambam did. Because what the Rambam really did was to codify the halachot as they pertain to Torah Shabbita. Not particularly the Torah Shabbal Peh as you go through it in the Talmud. Not in the Shabbos, right. 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 He didn't do that. It's, it's very, very interesting. Yeah. So, uh, what, what is the, the, these halakim? Which one? Right now he has like the... That's when he lists the entire shas. Oh, so he's just... He's, so he lists the entire shas and all the shas. Because I'm going to write my thing on the Talmud, I need to be able to... So that you'll know all the different prakim. And then when I write my thing on the mitzvot, and I'm going to reference all these prakim, so you'll know. So really that was the end of his... his but the interesting intro? thing is within the perush of the Torah, he does do a lot of this work in the context of the perush of the Torah. He just never made a separate sefer mitzvot that would just be like really a learning of the mitzvot as a separate limud, I guess it would have been much, much more extensive than what he does in the Pirush on the Torah. You know, it would have been out of, not in the, not in the framework of the Torah, of the actual Pirush on the Chumash, a separate, that separate book would have been much, much more extensive. So, but he never did it. But the idea is that he, just like with these Mikomot that he gives you, he wants, he doesn't want people to feel that, and it says, like, I'll give an example of what we learned today. Like, he'll say, like, if the Torah describes something, always assume, gives a mitzvah, always assume that it means to do it in the most natural and efficient way. So if it says use your hand, that means use your right hand for a righty, obviously. You know, use the right hand because that's the most natural and efficient way. If it tells you to do a certain performance on a certain day, do it during the day because that's when you normally do things, not at night. Meaning, so he, he just, it's not like a big chidush. He wants to reduce the dissonance between basically make it more unified, make it more that when you read Torah Shebikhtav, you see the Torah Shebalpeh in the words, it emerges from the words. When you read Torah Shebalpeh, you see Torah Shebikhtav being explained in Torah Shebalpeh. Like, it's a, it's a massive project. So the, uh, yeah, I mean, this is the, and, and therefore you have to, the, the point of the Mikomot to me is that language, you know, when do you generalize from a particular? When do you accept particulars as limiters? When do you, when there's an example, should you, you should assume it's the strongest example, either of the minimum or the maximum, right? That was one of the, one of the ideas. When someone is described uh, as having a certain char a characteristic, it can mean that they're capable of that. It doesn't necessarily mean that they have that. Like all of this is nuances in reading that instead of learning that halakha, uh, that a hamakriv, that the kohen that brought the korban gets the skin of the olah, as, oh, it's a, the rabbis came and said that actually anybody who's in the mishmar can do it. No, that's what hamakriv at olat ish means. Anybody who was on duty could have been the one to do it. Well, it doesn't mean the particular guy. It's just, that's what the words mean. Don't, don't think that it's a Torah coming and superimposing a new idea. No. It changes the way that you read, or like his stuff about shiurim, even though it's like he's sort of hair splitting a little bit with the differences between the different quantities. But the idea that when you have an action that you don't do the complete act, full action, you do part of it. 
So how do you know where to draw the line when you read the words Achila? It's only Achilat Nevela when I eat an entire dead animal? No. So what's defined as eating? What's the measurement? What's defined as writing on Shabbat? Whatever. All of these things are, can I, can I instead of feeling that the Torah Shabbat Peh supplements or adds thousands of halachot to the Torah Shabbat it's just that we're reading the Torah Shabbat without thought. And if we really thought about it, like I like this example of the Tahor, that there are three categories of Matnot Kehuna. Right? He was a Levi, maybe. Oh, no, he wasn't a Levi. His first name was Levi. So I guess he wasn't, uh, he wasn't a Kohen either. So, but he liked the examples from the Beit HaMikdash. Right? You have, a, you have a, a, the three levels of like Kodshi Kodashim and then Kodashim Kalim and then also Truman. It says Tahor, both the last two. Like that was a good example because you see that it's repeating itself. It's creating a new category. If you just skim over that, you're missing something. It's, it's not that you need the Torah. You do need the Torah Shabbat Peh. But it's not that the Torah Shabbat Peh is inventing something. It's just that we're not reading carefully. If we were reading carefully enough, we would have inferred or at the very least anticipated, let's say, what the Torah Shabbat Peh was going to say. But our reading of Torah Shabbat isn't ready. It's not like at the level. We're not reading Torah Shabbat at a level that's ready for the Torah Shabbat Peh. That's what he's telling you. Because we don't have these mikomot. We're not reading it with the sophistication that when you read the words in the Pasuk, do you ask yourself, is it Shor Chamor literally, or does it, are those just examples? Is Harisha specific, you're not supposed to do plowing? Why? Or is it just a, an example of Melacha? Right? You have to ask those questions, and now your mind is ready for Tashabal Pet to like, help refine your understanding. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing. They're all bugs, uh, you know, super systematic. Right, it might be worthwhile to just um, like classify the nine nekamot. Um, just again, just to summarize. To say them again? Just to say like like what each each makom is very briefly, like without the without the whole thing, but just to yeah. go through that if okay, possible. So, so the first one. I'll write it down. Okay, so the first one was the the particular is used in the Torah to signify the general. You have to generalize from the particular. And that had two forms. Sometimes an example is given in the Torah, but it's just an example. It's not the only case, like Shor It's not the only case. Now, incidentally, sometimes it is the only case, like let's say Tzemer Pishtim and Shadnez. We don't generalize, right? Mm-hmm. But, uh, but it's not, in oftentimes examples are just signifying the generality, the general principle. And the other one is that a law can be mentioned in one context, in one example, that really it's, it's, it's meant to be generalized to more than one example. So that's going from particular to general. That's makom number one. Makom number two was that, uh, that if you have a, um, if you have, if you have a, a mitzvah where certain dinim are unclear, you, have, you can't just read the local presentation of that mitzvah if there are other texts that are basically what we would say in dialogue with that mitzvah. You have to use the, all of the uh, text at your disposal to clarify it. So, and again, rather than relying on Torah Shabbat Pet to do that for you, right? If you were actually reading, and his example is very extensive, but the korbanot of the individual and the community, and you were comparing the two places that the Torah talks about that, you would have been able to make it 90% of the way to, towards anticipating what the Torah Shabbat was going to say. 
because he would have used the text in Parshat Shabbat to illuminate the text in Parshat Vayikra. So you have to not only generalize from particulars to universals, you also have to read the entirety of the text to see all the, uh, the texts that are similar to one another and allow them to clarify one another. They clarify one another, they shed light on one another. The third one was defining words. What's the definition of a word? Okay, sometimes just a precise definition is enough. Example was, we talk about registering for Korban Pesach, right? It says, you have to register on the se. A se means a living animal. It's not basar, it's se. So it means the animal has to be alive. You can't register for Korban Pesach after it's already slaughtered, right? It's just from the word se. You don't need the Masechet Pesachim to tell you. You just really, you could see it. He's not dissing Torah Shabbat He's saying your reading of Torah Shabbat could be at a higher level that you're, instead of the Torah Shabbat being here and you're here, like what a Karaite thinks or something like that. It's actually like this. It's more like this. Yeah, it's much closer. Makor was that, right, so the third, fourth one was that whenever the Torah talks about an action, we assume it's the most efficient form, the most normal form, Right? And the most meaningful form. So efficient, the example was the right hand, as opposed to the left hand. The normal was that it's something that would be done, let's say, day rather than night. Okay, that's the normal way to do a certain activity. And most meaningful was that tefillin, since it's not put actually on your hand and between your eyes, where do you put it? On your brain area and on your heart to, re- to have the words of the Torah on your brain and heart. It makes sense that that's where you would be putting it because that's what the point of the tefillin is, right? Fifth. Wait, so yeah. it was efficient, normal, and what? Efficient, normal, and meaningful, meaning the one that's most consistent with what the theme of the mitzvah is, according to as best as we can understand it, right? Uh, what was the fifth one? That, um, that, oh, we have to look at the, the, um, Right, when the Torah is highly specific about the descriptions of a particular case, um, or when the context that a case is mentioned in is very specific, we read those, that we don't generalize, basically, but we limit instead, meaning when it's Either, like for Ben Soar Moret, there are details in the Ben Soar Moret passage that are highly specific. And again, it's interesting because it also mentions Onesh and things like that. Things where we're very specific about limiting. Onesh, Korbanot, he mentions, right? So there, the general rule is we're going to limit. So if there were limiting terms, instead of generalizing and saying, no, it's just an example, we're actually going to limit them. We're going to limit the case. Or if in the context, like in the case of the Nasi bringing a Korban, we're going to say, that's only talking about the Melech. How do I know that? Because everything else in the context is a national figure, not a Shevet figure, a national figure, right? In Vayikra. So it must be a national figure. So because it has to do with Korbanot and Onashim, he says, therefore where we limit. So it's, it's part, of the, part of the calculus is the fact that it's Onash. Um, the next one... Oh, and he also brought, that was another one where he brought the thing about the two times that it says Tara. In other words, because there was a, because there was a hierarchy of different matanot, 
And so therefore, from the context, you infer that the third one is a lower level, because the first one was a higher level, the second one was a lower level, and it mentions again, so that means that it must be a third lower level. So again, using the context to interpret the, uh, the, interpret the meaning. Because he had, uh, yeah, okay. So that, that, that's it, but I don't want to go into the whole mashat. Again, the sixth one was, if the Torah gives a case, or an example, it's going to get, if it's giving an example of a minimum, it's going to give the minimum, the most minimum, the, the lowest minimum, right? And if it's giving an example that of a maximum, it's going to give the biggest maximum. It's not going to give the, uh, it's not going to give something in the middle, right? Where there's actually more that could be done, or there's actually less. It's going to, if it's giving you a minimum, it's going to show you the smallest minimum. If it's giving you a maximum, it's going to give you the largest maximum. That was, that was number uh, six, okay? Um, then the example was like the, the Nazir, the Korban of the Nazir, the arm of the Korban of the Nazir mm-hmm. that you give to the, not really called an arm of an animal, I forget. The Zerah. The, the Zerah, right? So that you see Bitul B'Shishim from that, you know? Um, or because that's the most it could have been right. Or when it talks about a melacha, what's the minimum that c- it constitutes a significant melacha? Let's say, right? So, uh, so, so the Torah will prescribe a minimum or a maximum. Okay, it's not going to do something in the middle because that just makes things vague. It wants to make it specific. The seventh one was about the quantitative, right? So where we talked about wherever there's a wherever there's something, an action which is subject to degree. There's something which is subject to quanti- quantification or degree. If it's, a, uh, if it's a discrete quantity, it will be two. If it's continuous quantity, it will be, uh, it will be whatever the amount is that's normally used for that action. Like, or if it's qualitatively significant, such as a briah shlema, or if it's qualitatively significant, like building, where even the smallest tikkun is considered significant, right? So it will grant it significance, okay? Then Shmini, eighth one was the idea that the Torah will describe something in terms of its potential or its qualifications, not necessarily in terms of its actuality, like food that could be eaten on Yom Tov. You made nefesh. You made the food, it doesn't mean you have to actually eat it to justify that you cooked it on Yom Tov. It means that it was capable of being eaten. The Kohen doesn't actually have to be makri of the Korban to get the or. It was that he could have done it. He was on the right shift. He just didn't happen to get that term, but he could have. Right? That's the, that's the eighth one. And then the ninth one was when the Torah talks about a very strong onish in a particular severe case, even if the prohibition is generalizable because the reason behind the prohibition would apply to a broader range of things. The specific onesh is only applied to the extreme case where it's mentioned. I thought of another example of that, like if a Kohen drinks wine and does the Abu, that's more severe than if he's drunk from other liquids because it only mentions wine, even though you would say, well, what's the difference? So the prohibition obviously applies to any drunkenness, but the actual mitah bide shamayim, it's only with, uh, only with the eye. Same, similar idea. Similar idea. Like the Ralbag would say, yeah, that's another example. For sure. And that's it. I mean, that, those are the Mikoma. And you'll see, when, if you learn the Ralbag, he mentions these all the time, all the time. Okay, we did a seum. Time to, time to go have a seum.
Could you, sorry, I don't mean to make you go back. Could you repeat the eighth one? What was the eighth one? Um, uh, eighth one was, oh, the one about how uh, when, when the Torah will describe somebody with a certain characteristic, it doesn't necessarily mean mm-hmm. that they actually have the characteristic. It means that they are qualified for that, that they have the qualification for it or the potential for it. Just like a doctor is called a doctor, even if he's sleeping, he's still a doctor, even though he's not actually performing, but not practicing while sleeping. Hopefully not. Some of them maybe. You would know more about that than me. Yeah, but that's, uh, that, yeah, that's a very common Aristotelian example. The uh, scholar is still a, a scholar when he's sleeping. Even when he's taking out the garbage, he's a scholar, even though he's not engaged in scholarly thing. It's a quality of the person. Yeah. It's a stable quality of the person. Now he actualizes his scholarliness when he's engaged in some kind of learning, but that's not. But the quality of scholar inheres in the person. You wouldn't say, "Oh, right now he's not a he's not a tamid chacham because he's not learning." Mm-hmm. Do you have Do you have some closing thoughts to the chalimud that we can sum of up? this? Yeah. I just think it's. Uh, in total, what did we really learn from the Ralbag? Right, we learned first of all that from the beginning of the day, that the perspective is always the broad. The Ralbag always brings this broad perspective, which I really like and appreciate, and is rooted in Tanakh, really, like we, we said, which is that the frame of reference is the universe, not mankind. The universe is governed by wisdom and chokmat Hashem. And we see in the design of the universe that God governs it in a, both in wisdom and in benefit to the creatures, meaning in, in beneficence or grace or whatever, he, you know, graciousness. And the same is true with man, but not only in the physical realm, in the intellectual realm and actualizing his spiritual intellectual capacities, which requires not a physical process, like let's say my body processes food or whatever, but requires toah. To guide me towards that. And what is the primary purpose of the Torah that Ralbag always emphasizes is to make me aware that there is a reality to ideas beyond the physical. Because it's that reality of ideas and the order and the wisdom out there that points to the existence of God, not the chaotic physical existence, the chaotic physical world, but the underlying order to it that really points to God. And the same in the Torah. Of course, the wisdom of Torah is different, like we said, because it's not subject to proof in the same way as mathematics or physics. It's, even though it's a chokhmah, it's not the same kind of chokhmah. It's a chokhmah that has to do with human action, human behavior, and the purpose of human behavior. But it, he divides it into three things. Mitzvot, which is the basic structure that gets a person on the right path and directs them in the right, towards the right objective. And then you have midot, and you have intellectual development. These two things are a lifelong process. <clears throat> the mitzvot point towards that. The mitzvot facilitate you developing good midot, but they, don't, they aren't the same as developing good midot. That's an ongoing process. The mitzvot could point you towards becoming knowledgeable and understanding the ways of God, but it's not going to do that for you. Even if sometimes, like you said, the mitzvot might have in them rimazim to very profound ideas, but the doing of the mitzvot is one thing, and the accessing those deep ideas is a lifelong process of learning and development and so on. You know, and, and therefore, and the same with the Talmud. He said the Talmud is the same as the Tanakh. That it's, 
basically contains those three parts. Mitzvot, halacha, right? And then you have Sipurim, and you have Agadot, that give you Midot guidance, and they give you uh, philosophical guidance. Right, and then, uh, what am I missing from the summary? Um, no, you talked about the reasons for the mitzvot, why that's important. First of all, because it, it stabilizes ideas in your mind, and re you retain them, because you connect them to broader themes. Um, and, uh, and therefore you, uh, you'll, and also because it's a completion of your real knowledge of the Torah. But he had also said that his methodology in learning is going to be a methodology that is not using, is using as little extraneous reliance on Chazal as possible and trying to understand things organically. So in the reading of the Torah, a person is seeing the whole system emerge as organically as possible from the reading of the Sukkim. So that, I mean, that's really everything that he said in a nutshell. But it's really, an, it, what the benefit of it is to have that framework in mind. As I'm approaching the Torah, and this is something when you, also when you pray, and you ask Hashem, I always feel like, if I'm asking, my learning has to have a goal. Right, just learning Stam, like, because I enjoy it or whatever, that's nice, but it's not, it doesn't have a goal. My goal has to be whatever the purpose of the Torah is. Whatever the purpose of the Torah is trying to lead me. So I have to be learning the right things and in the right way. Because not every learning is created equal, right? So the Ralbag is saying when you approach Torah, you have to approach it with this idea. This is God's direction to help actualize my abilities as a social creature, as a, in every way that it means to be a human being. Socially, personally, and also intellectually, all of these things. And therefore I have to seek those lessons and principles from the Torah. I need to read the Torah in such a way that I can extract from it the principles that I need for mitzvah observance, mitot development, and intellectual development. That has to be my orientation. And he gives you basically also these tools that instead of feeling that you're just reading a text and, and, and then there's Torah Shabbat on the side, Actually, you can see the principles and the ideas emerging from the text itself as you read. And that's, the, that's really the goal, to read Tanakh with these goals in mind, with these objectives in mind, but also with this methodology that allows the text to bring forth to you, you know, these, these principles. So, you know, that's, that's basically all that he says. And he, I think he delivers on that in his parish also, um, which is worthwhile, you know, learning too, but we'll go do that now. Thank you, Rabbi. Do you have to go?